You're listening to Flipping Tables on Sunrise Robot. Find out how you can support us at sunriserobot.net slash support. Hey, welcome to episode 82 of Flipping Tables. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards. And I am David Lyons. Uh, we do have some follow-up today. Uh, you're going to tell us more about the Magic Mouse. Have you quit yet? I haven't quit, but there are tons of like accidental micro-scrolls, like little tiny... I wouldn't even notice it if the screen didn't like bounce just a tiny bit when I tried to over-scroll. So it's... I'm not... <laughs> I'm not unhappy with it, but I'm also not happy with it. Like I'm, it's it's like it's a pointing device. I'm learning to deal mostly. I think that's actually one thing that drove me away a little bit. Just like that kind of thing drives me crazy. Just like, no, I'm not scrolling. Don't even partially do that. Especially these little side to side scrolls cuz you can also horizontal scroll with it, which is convenient when you want to and is like jarring visually when you don't want to. Well, it also seems like it, it locks into you're either doing left to right or up and down. And sometimes, I don't know, maybe it depends on the app. Like maybe in Photoshop you can kind of freely scroll, but it just seems really unwieldy. Yeah. I'm like I said, I'm not, I'm not unhappy with it, but I'm also kind of like eh, $15 Logitech sounded pretty good. <laughs> I don't know. I'm 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 ambivalent. And what's the opposite of love? It's not hate. <laughs> it's ambivalent. Um, so I also threw in a little bit of follow up just because we talked about uh, iCloud Photos and um, how Apple's server stuff usually sucks. <laughs> and uh, Photos is the exception where it's actually competent, and you're like, don't praise them. That's the standard. Um, well, I've recently uh, abandoned Notes and. Like when we talked about getting things done, I was very clear. Like, I just need something very simple. I just want to type stuff and be able to look at it from any of my devices. And you'd think that would be one of the easier server sync like things to deal with. Text? <laughs> yeah. It's like the hello world of servers. Like, can you, like, I guess more of like a to do app, maybe the hello world of app development. But this is not far beyond that, if, if at all. And, that's just me shooting from the hip and saying that they should be better at this and they're not. So what keeps happening is, um, so I have a couple folders. They let you make folders in notes cause I have like music lyric stuff and I want that separate from work. And that's, that's, that's about it. I'm not like nesting thing. I'm not going crazy. It's just like, Oh, music work and probably a miscellaneous. And, uh, it loves creating notes outside of all those folders and just being, general notes and then while i'm typing sometimes the note disappears and then reappears as an earlier version of my note and i'm like (laughs) nope so like you have the app open you're typing which means presumably that should be the most up-to-date version yeah and it just like it's like it's like you're writing on a piece of paper and someone swipes it from you and then says, here's here's this other sketch you were working on earlier. It's like, <laughs> I'm in the middle of drawing right now. <laughs> Don't do that. So that totally destroys everything. Um, you, you're, you're ready for a little Apple apologist? I think I could actually explain this away. 
<laughs> okay. I'm not saying it's acceptable, but I'm saying I think I know the technical explanation, which is if they are encrypting everything so that they don't have access to it on their server, then that might allow things to get out of sync because they're only uh, readable at you know display time for you on the end device. This is the same excuse I've always heard with why iMessages get, or messages, whatever they call it now, gets out of sync between like your computer and your iPad and your iPhone because it's all it's all secure in transit and we can't even read it. But there are things like hashes and timestamps that would really easily circumvent the problem of not being able to read the actual content and do like a diff on the content. You could do a diff on the hash or on yeah. the timestamp. Like so really there is no excuse. Yeah, and so another thing that happens is I'll go into my notes app, and inexplicably there will be two of a note. Uh, and are they then, identical, or is there like a 3 o'clock version and a 3.30 version? They tend to be identical, but then I'm paranoid. I'm like, if I delete it, <laughs> is it going to delete both of them? Like, they're quantum pairs. <laughs> and uh, it, it didn't, I mean... Yeah, I've I quit. I quit. I'm out. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. So I'm on Evernote and just the free version. And I'm really just taking text notes and it works good. I mean, it's fun. <laughs> I'm surprised you would go to Evernote and not to like a Google Drive solution or simple note, something plain text. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Good talk. <laughs> Um, this isn't follow up, but I was just going to mention it and we can move on is I got a cat and I'm telling the world cause you're going to see a lot of stupid photos and videos now in your stream. Yeah. You do have an adorable, uh, like homecoming video with your cat, which <laughs> I'm really glad you did not sync up to, uh, Sarah McLaughlin's angel <laughs> and to it in like 200 frames a second. Yeah. <laughs> No, not at all. Um, yeah, he's a he's a fully jet black cat, and we're we're calling him Felix. Um, if you don't know why you would call a black cat Felix, then you are out of touch with 20th century cartoons, <laughs> <laughs> which maybe is okay. Um, on to the real topics. Uh, I I thought we were just going to do an hour about the cat. Well, is there I mean, other we can. stuff? I mean, <laughs> you probably could. <laughs> So, okay, here's the one cat question, and then we can actually move on. Um, was this like a a joint decision, or did you or Shelby do like the final like, hey, tomorrow we're going to go get a cat? <laughs> um, it was a joint decision, and, uh, you know, we just we started looking up all the things we would need, like litter and bed and toys and food and bowls and all this crap, and... Uh, there was the day we bought some of those items and then everything happened very quickly after that. Once you had some of those <laughs> items in the house, it's like, let's go get a cat. Well, cause otherwise you just feel like a crazy person. <laughs> like, <laughs> we have cat litter and food and bowls and we do not have a cat and you have a friend over and they're like, Oh, when did you get a cat? And you're like next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, we, he, he came from a shelter. It's a, every creature counts. And uh, we were actually not the first to put adoption papers forward um, for, for this, this specific cat. cat. But the the apparently it's up to the whim of whoever reviews the adoption because they're like, I was going to give it to the other person, but eh, I liked your application. And so it's like buying a house. It's like you had to put an offer in on this cat. <laughs> yeah, basically. 
and they're like they're like they're like reading into phone conversations with like who was friendlier or I don't know something that sounded very subjective on which would be the better home. Anyway, we are on our way to filling an hour with cat stuff, so let's <laughs> not do that. Let's talk about YouTube gaming. Uh, did so, you look at this much? Did you watch I, any streams? I actually did, and uh, I, I have it open now, and they do kind of a... Normally, carousels are like the bane of good web design, but this is like a legit good use of a carousel where it it shows uh, like the title card for a page, and then it it loads the live feed. So the carousel only includes currently live playing feeds. Um, there's a guy uh, playing a Star Trek game right now, and he's just running up and down the <laughs> hall, jumping. It's kind of hypnotic. <laughs> Yeah. I think is that the stream that's like the 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 worst Star Wars and Star Trek games compared or something. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> so this guy's already internet famous. <laughs> but I didn't realize that some of the things YouTube gaming is doing are a little more subtle than a direct competitor to Twitch, which don't get me wrong, this is a direct competitor to Twitch. But all of this framework was already in place. The live, the search, the highlighting certain videos, all that stuff was already there. Really, all they did was wrap it in we care about gaming colored wrapping paper, and everyone like freaked the hell out. Which, I mean, I understand that. They're getting the message across clearly now, but the, the live streaming, like I went in to set myself up as a live streamer just to see what the process is like, and it's the same process for setting yourself up as regular live streaming. And I don't mean the processes are similar. I mean, it literally takes you out of YouTube gaming (laughs) to the identical process. And then it's just, you just stream games instead of other stuff. Yeah. I do like, and one thing that always bothered me about Twitch was the, the 10 to, you know, sometimes it was a little shorter, but it was like 10 to 15 second delay from what you did and what people are watching. I don't know if that's changed because I haven't looked at Twitch in about six months. So um, have you looked at the the YouTube live settings? Because they yeah. actually address that explicitly. That was what I was getting to is that they have a switch. Like, do you care about interaction? Then choose low latency. Um, it may not look as perfect. Or, or do you care about the user experience being really smooth with less buffering? Then have a delay and... I like having, I like giving us that choice because there may be streams where it's like, I don't really intend to talk to anyone, but for some reason I'm really interesting and people should just watch me play. And well, I could think like if uh, somebody's watching a speed run or if they're watching you do, you're going for like a world record in Tetris, like you're not going to be checking the chat, <laughs> yeah. you know, like you're, you want a super high res so that they can enjoy it. And if there's a 10 second delay, that's okay because you're not responding to questions or feedback in real time. So it's like, and it's a nice, simple toggle. It's high latency, low latency. It's not like, what resolution do you want to stream at? And what frame rate do you want to stream at? Like they, they need to take that off. Yeah. Yeah. They need to be smart about detecting the, the viewer's resolution and, and connection and giving them the feed they can handle. So I'm watching someone play Sonic Boom right now, and it's a, a good reminder that 3D Sonic games are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, you don't like the Dreamcast one where you go fishing as a big cat for, you know, 10% of the game and you're like, what am I doing here? What did you even just say? Is that a thing? That's a thing that happened? Sonic Adventure. There's like six characters. You're only Sonic for, you know, one sixth of the game. And when you're Tails, you're just playing Sonic's levels. So it's just... This is, that sounds awful. All of that is awful. <laughs> And some of it, you're, you're Amy, his girlfriend, and she has a hammer, and you're just running around, and it's terrible. Is that the game she debuted in with Sonic Adventure? I think so. Oh, my God. I, I don't like how it's, it's, Sonic the, it's Sonic the Hedgehog, and Tails is a fox, and she's Amy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because Amy the also hedgehog. <laughs> well, they're also named like for their attributes, like Knuckles... He uses his fists and climbs. Tails has really distinctive tails that he flies with. And True. Amy. <laughs> Amy, she doesn't aim the things. token female. <laughs> Somehow we got into Sonic. Anyway, uh, <laughs> YouTube gaming looks really good. I mean, I would I would be worried if I were Twitch. It could it could take over. Except if you're what? in Germany. <laughs> yeah, and this, you know, I'm I'm glad we have. We're lucky enough to have one of our hosts be in in Europe, specifically in Germany, because they're constantly butting heads with Google. So we, spoiled Americans, are like, oh, Google's doing all these amazing things. And then when we talk to Matt of Bits and Pieces fame, which you can find at sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces, um, he's like, oh, this is cool. Oh, it doesn't work in Germany. (laughs) Like, oh, look at this new thing. Oh, it's blocked in Germany. Yeah. I, I don't and then so there's this this article that was on uh who where was this article um Kotaku so apparently uh the DM I didn't realize this the DMCA takedown engine on YouTube is automated and uh some some people posted Mario Maker levels we talked about Mario Maker last week and and they posted self-playing levels well, the thing about a self-playing level is if I upload it and I created it and you uploaded it because you're like, oh, check out this cool video this guy made, they're going to play frame by frame identically because it's an <laughs> yeah. automatically playing level. So even if you download the level onto your Wii and then make your own recording, they're going to look identical. It's like It's exactly like if you just pirated a movie off of you know a a cable television station but the thing is the auto playing engine favors the more popular youtube channel so apparently playboy i had no idea playboy (laughs) apparently has like a gaming article writer and you know because everybody reads playboy for the articles i watch it for the games (laughs) (laughs) yeah i watch playboy uh for the mario maker (laughs) So their gaming editor found a bunch of auto-playing levels they thought were cool, put them onto the YouTube gaming on the Playboy channel, and uh, they flagged the original creator's video as the pirated one since he's less popular. <laughs> and then, But, I mean, there's like a 30-day turnaround. So, like, if if you, Mike, who's an executive at Playboy, does this, and I, David, have my video taken down, you have up to 30 days to respond to my dispute claim. Man, this is a this sounds like a scene out of Brazil, which is a movie we still need to watch. <laughs> Cuz I mean in the movie a fly lands in a typewriter cuz this was far enough ago that typewriters were still part of the future, but 
this was a dystopian government and the it changes a B to a T or I don't know the other way and this other guy gets marked as a terrorist but then all the machinery that goes on and does its job perfectly after that <laughs> mistake is kind of what this is and uh you know he gets taken and tortured and actually killed and then a bill is sent to his wife it says sorry we killed him here's your charge for the interrogation but you Maybe know. it didn't go quite that far <laughs> with this, but it, it feels like that. Like this really sophisticated machinery to auto detect and remove duplicates, and then it happens in this really stupid way. Yeah, I mean that's exactly what's happening. And to be fair, like in in Playboy's defense, as soon as they were made aware that this was happening, they were like, "Oh, we're gonna just start." auto accepting these claims like we're not even going to check them we trust the community we're really sorry so they're trying to do their part but i mean really that's a losing battle the actual work has to be done on youtube's part to fix this process and i understand that they need to keep you know big content producers and, and music producers happy but if you are going to have an entire channel or an entire section of your site that's like hey basically upload copyrighted footage and we will let you run ads against it. We're going to call it YouTube gaming. Like you need to figure this out because this is going to happen constantly. Yeah. Man, there's a star Wars fighting game on here right now. That is oh, just is like, it masters of terrors? Kasi from the PS one. <laughs> I don't know. They're, I mean, it looks like a PS one game, but they're, yeah. in the middle, they're in the middle of a fight. So I can't, it's Luke. <laughs> beating up some and woman it, it with a robot arm. Does it basically look like Tekken? Yeah, yep. Yep. I played that game, I remember. It didn't seem that bad at the time. I wonder uh, if it has aged well. It sure doesn't look like it. <laughs> I mean, I don't <laughs> have any nostalgia goggles to put on, but uh, it's awful. All right, I got to close this. It's just <laughs> okay. going to addict me. They did, so even though on the web, YouTube gaming is basically just a dedicated subdomain of youtube with a nice skin although it's really just youtube underneath at least right now they'll probably add some stuff but uh they do have a dedicated mobile app so you can watch live gaming from the bus stop i guess <laughs> uh, i don't i don't get let's plays and it's not because i don't get sitting around watching someone playing video games it's because i don't get sitting around watching a stranger play video games yeah. Like I would totally hang out with you and watch you play a single player game and just like chat with you while you did that, but not if I didn't know you. Yeah, I tend to seek out like if there's something special about it, like like a speed run or a, you know, a, a no kill run through a game where that's actually very difficult to do. Like those are fascinating to watch, but just some guy who might actually suck at the game <laughs> and just like it's not funny. It's just like ah, why why can't he make that jump? He's so bad. Why is he? <laughs> I think uh, when YouTube gaming was first announced, uh, Leo Laporte, who famously recognizes that Let's Plays are popular, but also recognizes that he's an old man who cannot possibly identify with young kids, he was like, "Oh, this is like a billion dollar opportunity of me just playing games really terribly." And letting 15-year-olds <laughs> yell at me in the chat while I lose repeatedly just over and over and over. <laughs> and I laughed at that at first, but I was like, there's probably going to be some 20-year-old who has like the old man character or the grandma character who's like, oh, I just don't understand what I'm doing and like intentionally, <laughs> intentionally. like hams it up. And they will probably make 
you know, not get rich off of it, but they could probably make a living doing like, <laughs> I'm bad at video games. And I don't know. I might watch it if it was funny. That's exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> no, I mean, me and Shelby have a thing where like, well, it's me being a jerk, but like, <laughs> you know, for getting home and like to unlock the door, if I'm like, almost like a horror movie, like you drop the keys and like intentionally miss the keyhole and like <laughs> pick the wrong key. And she's like, ah, <laughs> it's one of the, like, if you know somebody's buttons, even if they know you're doing it to get them riled up, the human, the stupid monkey brain just can't reconcile <laughs> those two things. It's like, I know he's doing it on purpose, but he's doing it on purpose. <laughs> ah, I hate this. Yeah. No, I've, I, I can totally identify with that. But I want to take a break from gaming for a minute and talk to you about these physical books that are digital books in disguise. They're Transformers. Yeah, these seem to be popping up everywhere. And Moleskin is at the forefront. They are. They also have a uh, deal with Evernote, don't they? Now that you're an Evernote guy. <laughs> now I'm a fanboy suddenly. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> That's how quickly things move on the internet, Mike. Yeah, so people love writing with their hand, but they also want the convenience of cloud, digital, everything is everywhere, view it wherever you want. And that's what these uh, notebooks purported to do. Have you ever actually used one of these? No. I know people who use them, and they all have a really specific use case. And because it fits their use case so well, they're very happy with it. But I've never met a normal person who doesn't have a really good reason to use a physical then digital notebook and sticks with it because it's just <laughs> it's just kind of a novelty and like my two examples are um i do actually know someone who handwrites notes in an evernote notebook and then has them digitized and the reason that they do that is because they go to meetings where you are not allowed to use electronics which is uh yeah, well, that's a whole other discussion, isn't it? <laughs> but really, they want to type their notes. They want digital copies of their notes. And this is like a way to prevent them from having to literally retype everything they wrote by hand 20 minutes ago, you know? So I get that. This other one, though... The, oh, go on. Oh, there's, a, there's two notebooks we're talking about here? Well, there's oh, one yeah. that's meant specifically for whatever you put in it. Um, just like general digitization, but this this mole skiny one uh, that's that's uh, Creative Cloud. It's specifically they've partnered with Adobe. Its entire function is to vectorize illustrations, and that I think is cool because a thirty two dollar it, it works. Yes, I'm, I'm skeptical that like the little I know about digitizing and vectorizing is. It takes you tweaking settings no matter what and with your input and deciding, be, I don't know. It just seems too good to be true, which is, I guess, my meta comment about all of these is it's always this uncanny valley of <laughs> trying to interpret what you meant. And it like I, I feel like I would end up spending more time cleaning up or deciphering what the computer did to my drawing. Well, and so this is where I think those specific kinds of use cases come in. So let's say, um, you know, you, you do creative and design work. 
So maybe on the bus or maybe you go on vacation and you don't want to bring a Wacom tablet with you to the beach. (laughs) So you're like, I still want to be able to draw and I still want to be able to work on sketches and designs, but I need something that doesn't require a battery and that doesn't require a computer. And then I'm willing to tweak these designs later, but no, would you sit in your office next to your $300 Wacom tablet and use this thing? Probably not. Because because there's just going to be so much like, oh, well, this line isn't what I intended or these two aren't connected the way they're supposed to be because there's like a tiny little imperceptible gap that the computer picked up on. And that's what I'm getting really addicted to with Illustrator. I'm trying to learn it as fast as I can is the how flexible it is. Like it really does marry like if you're using a Wacom tablet, like you're still getting that natural drawing behavior of your arm. But. Yeah, you can undo. Yeah, that point that was a little jagged, you can smooth out. Yeah, you can in the tool and it's not just like, well, you have infinite power, good luck for the next hundred years you're gonna take to <laughs> tweak that. It's actually really geared well towards like fixing or improving what you drew. And I'm not down on writing like, you know, old world paper and pencil. Like I think those are insanely valuable when you want to sketch quickly no matter where you are or just try ideas and um, there's a workflow that makes sense going but these live in some weird no man's land for me well, they're expensive too the yeah. that that i believe it's pronounced molluscany um <laughs> it's 32 dollars for their evernote or maybe it was the creative cloud one and they i couldn't find anywhere where they said how many pages were in this thing it doesn't look very thick um i'd be surprised if there was more than 100 pages Maybe that's where it tops out, but it just seems expensive for this weird no man's land product. Yeah. And see, I think products like this, and I mean, I've worked in bookstores for a while in in college and I remember just the sheer volume of like journals and, and pads of paper and notebooks and and specific journals where it's like, oh, this is a wine tasting journal and this is a travel <laughs> yeah. journal. And like just the sheer volume of those that we would sell in just that one store that I worked in. And I I was like, I have a hard time believing that these people's lives are that interesting, that there's this many people who have this much to say about this ultra niche topic. Yeah, and do we need a do we need a wine tasting journal like are we going to start selling wine tasting computers and <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like yeah, you can only use this computer to look at wine videos on YouTube cuz it's focused. <laughs> well, and I think, you know, in my weird edge case, I think like okay, yeah, you know, you're a full-time illustrator, you're going on vacation, you have this like special need, but I don't think there's enough sales in that area to sustain these products. I think these products are actually sustained by the people who want to be full-time illustrators or who have this magical vision of, oh, I, this product will work the way I've always wanted it to work this time. Like This will somehow be the exception. Yeah. Do you think that the this whole category can only exist because drawing on non-pro Wacom hardware just sucks like trying to draw on an ipad and even on the surface it's like for for that one-to-one feeling it's just not quite there and is that why people are still going to buy these things because tablets just need to get better i would have to say yes because 
unless you are working in a medium where your product is never going to be digital, like if you're a charcoal sketch artist, you don't want to learn digital charcoal. You want the feeling of like real charcoal on paper or on canvas. And that's fine. I don't have any problem with that. But anyone who's like, how do I get my hand to move in circles and then circles appear on the computer and they're using this kind of thing as an intermediary. If I could sell you a $299 iPad mini and it's like, okay, this has perfect one-to-one drawing. It is exactly like drawing on a piece of paper for the purposes of accuracy, but you only have to buy it once. You don't have to buy a new $33 notebook every (laughs) like couple of months when you fill it up. Like, why would you ever stop at the notebook stage? Like, you would just go digital directly if you didn't need that intermediary. And I think the real need for that intermediary is is kind of, uh, it's sort of in our heads, right? <laughs> yeah. You can't so, see it, but there's a lot of jazz fingers happening right now while I'm searching for the right term. There, there are a lot. It's, it's really helpful <laughs> as you think of a word. Um I, I don't see myself ever paying any of my own money for any of these smart notebooks. I would try one out just because I'm techie. I like trying things, but don't really have any... I don't see how it would help me much. We're definitely still married to this kind of romance for you know the physical. Like, I have a real pen and I have real paper and I'm going to write down my real ideas in the real field. And that's... I'm not. I'm not against that, but... I think if you, it's kind of that jobs to be done. Like, oh, so you want to have a permanent recording of something you observed or something you saw or something you thought? Um, well, very soon you're going to be able to just lift your arm up and shout at your wrist and get those ideas permanently transcribed in all their digital splendor forever. <laughs> and that may not be as romantic as as Darwin sitting on the beach and sketching hundreds of animals he'd never seen before out in in the Galapagos Islands, but I'll bet if he'd had a digital camera, he would have used it. Like he he went he defaulted back to drawing because he didn't have any other good choice, not because that was the best way to do it. It was just the best way available at the time. Yeah. I don't know what these are the best for in any (laughs) sense. (laughs) I I think they're it's it's like I said, I think it's super uh, niche looking for a market where there's a very, very small customer base of people who actually need it and a very large customer base of people who want to believe that they need it. <laughs> and the, the believers subsidize the needers. I'm going to go on my European adventure for wine and <laughs> cafes and brunch. and Yeah, I don't <laughs> You're going to then write Eat, Pray, Love? Because I'm pretty sure that's the plot of Eat, Pray, Love. I do like the versions that change Pray to P-R-E-Y. <laughs> right. now, now I need to Google for that while you uh, you tell me if you want to do this chiptune thing I found. <laughs> yeah, so I, I didn't get to look at this too closely, but uh, someone's basically made an online Game Boy you can make songs out of. Um and it has a really adorable kind of uh, interface that they, not just the, I mean, the, the interface of the thing is yellow and black. It's actually kind of harsh. But the, the website <laughs> for the tool puts it in this kind of weird, gangly, oversized, Game Boy-ish thing. And uh, 
then from there you can try to sequence uh, songs and um, true to true to the Game Boy roots, like you can't. I don't think you can make like an infinitely long song. Like you got you basically making little loops, and uh, you have a, a limited number of tracks. But it's a uh, it's an interesting little project, and it seems like there is just this this fetish for these primitive computing hardware music sounds these square waves and little trashy percussive noises and uh i I don't know it's just our generation just grew up with that and we'll never let it go and i i could see definitely the the leo laports of the world going why do people like this stuff well so not having any talent like you do um i something i have gleaned from people who are creators of uh, music or, or, you know, art or writing is boundaries really, really help your thinking process. So I think the nostalgia of the games and, and sounds of our youth combined with it's so hyper restrictive. Like, you know, if you're doing like a true Game Boy or true Nintendo, like you can only play a couple of sounds at the same time. So you can't have like a rich, you know, 12 uh, 12 tone harmony. Cause it's just literally not possible on that hardware. So it, it makes you get creative. Like how do I have a fast drum beat and play a melody? If the drums and the melody literally can't be happening at the same time. So you have to do these very creative things to make it sound to our ears. And when we process it, you know, like a coherent piece of music. So I, I mean, I agree with you. The nostalgia goggles are very, very thick when it comes to chiptune music. And I mean, I love chiptune. Like I listen to it every single day, so I'm not complaining, but I do think that the restrictiveness of the medium is what has made it so, uh, so enduring for like actual artists and not just people like me who find a tool like this. Uh, what's it called? It's, um, I lost my tab here. Pulse boy. And, uh, cause I mean, I can just go in with no real talent and screw around with this and make noise, but someone like you or Matt, could actually go in here and like write real music. Now you probably wouldn't cause it's certainly not a pro tool, but you could like it's, it's, it would get the job done. So one of the things you brought up was that limitations can help people be more creative sometimes. And a lot of the really weird effects you hear in eight bit, like game boy and NES music was invented to overcome the limitations because I think on the NES, and I feel like we talked about this a long time ago, like a year ago, because our podcast is that old now, um, <laughs> that, uh, you know, the I think you only got three sounds at a time on the, the old NES. So it was something very restrictive like that. So in a song, you'd have, you know, a drum track would be a kick or a snare or other sounds as long as they weren't simultaneous. You could have one track be your drums then maybe a bass and maybe a melody. And then if your character did anything, one of those elements would drop out of the mix. So you could hear this in a lot of old Nintendo games, but not for really clever programmers because you hear some Nintendo music that sounds like there's no way that's only three tracks. There's like bass, drums, and harmony, like more than one note of melody happening at once. And uh, they were exploiting like microsecond differences in timings for playing things so that you could dance around the the limit on tracks and eventually that technique gets taken to extreme with some of the like really vibrating and and weird cascading and different sounds you hear and i think it's exactly an example of those limitations leading to 
really creative, strange sounding music that we now are addicted to as chiptunes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, would you, so you've written chiptune music, you wrote the, the theme for flipping tables. Did you just use logic and you yeah. just imported chippy tuny sounds? Well, I didn't have to import it because I mean, all the, all the music of Nest games is basically different kinds of simple bass synth waves that are different lengths or shorter or longer, more square or more triangle. So there's a, there's a basic synth in logic that can do all of those sounds. So it's, you know, what you hear in the flipping tables theme song. Yeah. The discerning listener will go, Oh, that's not game boy hardware, but it's pretty damn close. (laughs) (laughs) Did you, do you happen to know if you were emulating a certain like systems orchestra like was I, it super nintendo-y or genesis-y or game i was going straight after Mega Man 2 when i made our theme song nice i, I was li- listening to support. yeah listening to songs from that game and then choosing certain sounds to try to mimic so uh some late breaking news here from from live googling while we were talking uh, I am not the least bit surprised, but a little bit frustrated to have to tell you that Eat P-R-E-Y Love <laughs> is a uh, crappy-looking romance novel <laughs> with the tagline, Wanted, Bride, Must Love Children, Mortals Need Not Apply. And the cover art is just absolutely great. Man, I, I went to this page and now Amazon is going to hound me the rest of my life <laughs> to buy these because we know that's that's how smart ads are now. Um, but yes. there's these other books down here like All I Want for Christmas is a Vampire Ugh. and Be Still, My Vampire Heart. <laughs> oh, God. Vamps and the City. <laughs> Let's stop it. Close, close the tab. Get out. But you know what? This is a great example of what I was just saying because somewhere in the last like 10 years, some writers decided that you had to only emulate uh, Twilight if you were going to write a romance novel. And that is a pretty steep restriction. (laughs) (laughs) And that has apparently led to a lot of giant air quotes creativity. Yeah, I can't remember. I remember being in a lit class in undergrad, so that would be, you know, over 10 years ago. Um, and my lit professor telling me that romance novels were one of the most popular categories of novel and doing nothing but growing as a category. And I was like, ah, oh, God damn it. <laughs> well, I mean, think about what the internet affords you. You can just create an anonymous account with a burner credit card if you're really that paranoid and buy all the terrible <laughs> smut you can possibly ever read in a lifetime. I remember when the Kindle started to get like really popular, like non-techie, just random everyday people were walking around with Kindles. Every, every time like a popular book would come out that had like a steamy sex scene, everyone was always like, Oh, they act like they're reading War and Peace, but really they're reading, you know, present book with the steamy sex scene. Where, like when uh, Fifty Shades of Grey was like the thing, everyone's yeah. like, you know, oh, I'm just going to go over here and reread the Lord of the Rings trilogy on my Kindle. And it's like, are you really just reading Fifty yeah. Shades of Grey? Like, it's okay. You don't have to be embarrassed. Read whatever you want to read. I'll get to Tolstoy after Dostoevsky. I'm <laughs> working through all the greats. 
But yeah, All I want so, for Christmas is a vampire. That's so because I am a thorough guy, uh, there is now a link to Eat, Pray, Love in the show notes that you can find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 82. So you're welcome, internet. <laughs> uh, let's get back to gaming. We got a couple <laughs> more gaming topics. Did you download this Pac-Man game? Oh, hell yes. Have you played it a lot? I've been playing the crap out of this. It is so going to burn out on me though like yeah. i can just already tell it, it it's it's gonna be like a summer romance but <laughs> so this game pac-man 256 made by the uh, hipster whale the company behind <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say every time the company behind uh crossy road which also like i really enjoyed and then it kind of flamed out but they partnered with Namco, so this is like a legit Pac-Man game made by the legit Pac-Man company, and what it lets you do is have an infinite maze, you know, it's like infinite runner style of Pac-Man, but there's like power-ups where you can get like a freeze block and it slows all the ghosts down, or you can get like a laser that literally shoots out of Pac-Man's mouth and like destroys any ghosts that get in the way, and you know, you try and eat pack dots and make a chain, but there's all these little additions besides the power-ups, like there are new ghosts. Like, one of the ghosts is asleep, and he only wakes up if you get near him, and then if you get far enough away, he goes back to sleep. So there's, like, little additions like that, and the reason it's called Pac-Man 256 is if you get a chain of 256 dots in a row, it uh it kills all the ghosts, like, in the the greater screen area. So, and I think that's a callback to, uh, in the original Pac-Man, if you got to the 256 level, it glitched out. And like, that was the only way to truly beat Pac-Man was to like make the game break itself. Huh. Well, I haven't been listening to anything you say, cause I've been playing it this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very good at this yet. No. And I mean, the, the real reason I wanted to, to talk to you about this game is, I mean, it is fun and, and it's free. People should play it. It's on iOS and on Android and it's really good on a tablet, but it's still totally serviceable on a phone. But the thing that I find really fascinating about this is it, if you had asked me, would Pac-Man play well on a touchscreen device? I would say no, because it it's like an old arcade game that requires twitchy controls and like super fine little motor skills perfect for like a physical arcade stick but because you can see so much of the field and because your objective is just to move forward not to clear the whole screen of like all the pack dots it's really um what's i don't i don't want to say appropriate but it, it's they've made it work really well with touch controls so mm -hmm. they found a way to take an, an old ip modernize the gameplay elements but also modernize the device you're interacting with it on. And it just seems like really clever, like really a simple idea that's really clever. Yeah. And you can tell they, they like one of the things to make it work better for a touchscreen is uh, they slowed the game down a bit. Cause if you, if you've played Pac-Man in the arcade and 
any time in the past year, you will remember how fast that game is. It really and, was. And you really do, like, the joystick gets worn out on that game, and people talk about which part of town has the good Pac-Man that you can play on. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah, it's a really difficult game, and you are you don't want to be blaming your controller. And this is uh, definitely... it's. It's somehow it is like the spirit of Pac-Man is there, even though there are a lot of changes. It's not, it's not the same at all. But it doesn't feel like it's a complete departure where you're like, I'm glad that you made a good game, but why is Pac-Man on it? Which you know, <laughs> Nint- Nintendo tends to do. It's like we have this great idea for a new game, and all of Mario's characters are now applied to it. <laughs> I mean, really, the Crossy Road is just Frogger. But it's Infinite Runner Frogger, so they modernized it, made it all mobile But for some reason, I don't know, maybe it, it's the, I just, Pac-Man is very nostalgia, but it didn't, playing Crossy Road, I didn't get the same sense that it was like, oh, they took an old game and really made it make sense on mobile. It was more like they took an old game and really made it sort of a ripoff because they didn't have access to the Frogger IP. But with Pac-Man, like it, it really feels like they, they took a game and modernized it because they've tried to modernize Pac-Man before. They tried to make like oh, a... Oh, man. <laughs> Just that disappointment. Well, there's a... So, you know, Pac-Man's an old enough game that the different attempts at modernizing span so many different generations. But one of the, the one that came to mind when he said that was one of the like side scroller storytelling Super Nintendo games. I don't know if it was Pac in Time or one of the other ones, but it's like this is yeah, it's Pac in Time. <laughs> this is an abomination. It's so bad, <laughs> and I don't know. It's it, yeah, it's like oh, you made a 16-bit side scroller, but what does this have to do with being Pac-Man? And there's like, you know, houses, like he's in a village and the house looks like Pac-Man, but it has a roof on it. And it's just weird. That's a very like Mario kind of thing where there's all this stuff in the Mario universe that for no reason looks like Mario or Yoshi or whatever. And like, no one seems to notice like, Hey, all of our greatest architects are, wildly in love with mario and obsessed with his head shape no that's fair because in mario galaxy 2 you fly a ship that is mario's head yeah why do those aliens know what his freaking head looks like it's so weird i'm watching a youtube it's not live but i'm watching a youtube video right now of uh pack in time and you're right it just looks like a generic you know platformer the thing i'm actually finding most upsetting about this is he has hands and feet but he does not appear to have arms or legs and i don't mean they float like rayman style i mean like he just has hands and feet attached directly to his creepy spheroid body so i found another super nintendo pac-man game that i think was actually what i was referring to is there's pac-man 2 the new adventures new adventures and yes. this this has the pac-man house in it <laughs> And it may yeah, be, you know, I, I thought that might be the one you were talking about. I mean, we can include links to both in our show notes, which you can still find at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 82. Yeah. It, and these are, I mean, exactly the why we're bringing these up is because this new game is 
more in the spirit of the original, but modernized. And these were really bad moves. Didn't uh, was there an N sixty four? I'm I'm gonna give up on the live research of this, but was there an N sixty four like basically Mario sixty four clone of Pac Man jumping around? Um, there's a Miss Pac Man game for N sixty four that I never played. Maze Madness, it's called. Uh, maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Because I feel like the Pac-Man that they use in uh, the new Smash Brothers is the the most modern attempt at updating Pac-Man, where he's like, he kind of looks like Mr. Peanut, where he's, he's got like long, thin arms and long, thin legs, but he's still like a perfect spheroid. <laughs> Super weird. It's weird how many pac-man games there are because i i don't feel like as a mascot like people know who he is and he's very recognizable but he doesn't seem modernized successfully anywhere whereas mario's always stayed current there's always a new mario game and it's done they've done pretty well on keeping him relevant even though every review is like this is a 9.9 out of 10 and why doesn't nintendo ever innovate in mario games <laughs> <laughs> like what do you want but Pac-Man always feels stuck like being a retro throwback. And maybe that's, you know, a, a shitty complaint I could level at this very fine new game is like, yeah, it's a great game. It's still just a, a classic Pac-Man arcade game, but he, he's going to be, he's a forever going to be in the eighties. Yeah. I feel like any game that was bound entirely by the limitations of, 1980s technology is stuck in because I well I mean think about like the original Mario right uh really simple gameplay really frustrating frustrating gameplay but then you know Mario like Super Mario Brothers the first one after Mario Brothers the weird plumber thing with the turtles you know that had like new features even though it was simple it was new and exciting at the time and then you know like super mario world added like these new power-ups and yoshi and then super mario 64 was in three dimensions and then super mario galaxy involved like flying and you had to be aware of of height as well as you know the the map out in front of you and so it's even though mario's formula has been so stable in the last 20 what 30 years it's still evolved slightly whereas it feels like pac-man and a lot of those other kind of retro games was more about uh following trends than trying to help set new ones and just relying on old characters whereas mario created whole genres of 3d platforming and then they just stuck their mascot on it over and over yeah and i think i'd have to pinpoint the ness side-scrolling super mario brothers as the key moment of that launched it into a game type that had room to grow in all these directions that you mentioned. Whereas yeah. the, the the single screen Mario Brothers was like every other arcade game, whether it was Popeye or, you know, the whatever the one where you're flying lances around. Um, oh, uh, Joust? Yeah, Joust. Or, you know, all these games that were very good in their time and like, took a lot of skill to be good at. It was kind of the classic like guy in the jean jacket in the arcades like, hey, I got next, and you're going <laughs> to battle them. And like <laughs> those games did not make it out of the 80s when gaming found all these new dimensions to play in. And it was like all those characters are like, hey, don't leave us behind. <laughs> Mario was able to be the forefront leaving behind the arcade. 
And that was, so we went from like, this is a really great new Pac-Man game to, man, will Pac-Man ever be out of the 80s? All these games. Well, they there was a lot of failures between the OG Pac-Man and I guess Miss Pac-Man, which was like a an extension within the bounds of the time. Yeah. And then uh, a whole lot of failures between then and now. <laughs> so much failure. So you are apparently... Uh, engineering the metal gear solid 5 hype train now yeah so i was a fallout hype train just a couple episodes ago and now i'm a mgs5 hype train <laughs> um no the their little preview game which they charge 20 or 30 dollars for but is really only about five hours long is uh ground zeros they released last year and i played it at the time and i beat the main mission and i was like why is it Kiefer Suffer- sutherland why isn't it david Hayter doing the voice <laughs> and it was okay and it just didn't hook me. And then during the latest media storm of, you know, everyone on Reddit and everyone everywhere else is showing Metal Gear stuff because it's coming out um, as of recording. It's coming out tomorrow. Um, and I, I decided to revisit Ground Zeroes and it hooked me hard. I was so good. And uh, I, I tried to write down some comments to not just gush and have nothing to say <laughs> of substance. And I have to say that this is something I would not say about all the Metal Gear games, but I can say about five. And that is the control scheme is great. It's uh, for the things you're doing as Snake. Um, you know, one of the main game mechanics that they feature in Ground Zeroes is if you pull up your binoculars and you zoom in and you see a guy, he gets tagged. And from then on, your big boss just has this hyper awareness of where that guy is. <laughs> And you can, you know, even if you're within like 100 meters, you know where he is and you can actually see where he's facing. And they do that and they took away the radar system, the whole cones and radar stuff. So it's more his intuition after he scouts. And that's part of your, your, as you attack a compound, is how much scouting can you get to a location where you can do some more scouting and see more of the guys. And, you know, that's not something that's never been done before in a game, but they made it feel so good. So at any time, unless you have a gun out or something and you're aiming and you're actively using the gun, you just press R1 and immediately, like instantaneously, you're in binoculars mode. And then you can look around. And then you let go and the binoculars are gone. And it's very fast and it's always ready to go. It's not like, oh, i got to go into my inventory, pull out the binoculars, (laughs) and do my thing. And so that's how important they are making this feature. And it feels great. And it's it really helps you with your sneaking because if you just try to use, you know, whip the camera around and see guys, well, it's dark and it's raining and they're Marines. They're wearing these dark hooded like rain jackets. You just can't see them. Um, So that's one game mechanic that I got addicted to. And the game actually rewards you. If you scan all the guys in record time, you get a trophy (laughs) or something. Um, But it's also like the, I don't know. Maybe I'm just contrasting with how bad Metal Gear's control scheme has felt to me. I don't know if you share that opinion of it. Um, it always feels There's like... There's always been complaints about it, but I've... I don't know. I I never thought it was that bad, but I also didn't play a lot of action shooters, so I didn't have a wide base for comparison. Well, and maybe I wouldn't say it's bad, but it's always been weird. Cause, it is you know, weird. They've... And... To be fair, they've never been trying to make Call of Duty. It's never had like FPS controls. 
that's not the way snake moves and i'm cool with most of that like the you know pushing your back what what always drove me nuts in most of the metal gear games was when you feel like you're playing a game of twister on the controller trying to hold down exactly the combination of buttons so all right i want to be pressed against this wall i want to lean out but i want to pull my this gun out and then i press this to maybe fire shot just kidding i'm gonna slowly release to not and you're like (laughs) it feels like you're all tangled up and i feel like they've cleaned that up tremendously in this game it doesn't feel that way now well, talking about like how you can you know whip out the binoculars and tag a guy, and I was like, okay, I know where that guy is because I'm Big Boss, and Big Boss would know where that guy is. Like, yeah, this is kind of like when we talked about uh, the Batman Arkham games a few weeks ago. That like the game, this is basically a role playing game in the sense that. I don't want Big Boss to be an empty vessel that I can be putting. I want to be him. Like, I want to be Big Boss. So I need to have access to his, like, powers and abilities, not just his tools, right? Like, just getting to carry around his gun and wear basically his face is not enough. Like, I also somehow need access to, like, his super intuition and his awareness of the situation and the battle and his knowledge. Like, you need, as a game designer to impart all of that to me. Otherwise, I only arrive with what I bring to the experience. And games like that are fine, but they're not... That's not a role-playing game. Like, I'm, if I'm going to play the role of an existing and established character, you need to somehow extend their superpowers to me, the player. And a little yeah. thing like that, where it's like, oh, he because he's an amazing soldier, he would know where the guy is. So here's how we communicate that to you. He's highlighted. There's a little arrow, whatever. It's like, okay, thank you for figuring that out because now I'm empowered. So one of the other changes they made that I think is nothing but good is, so in every Metal Gear game, they have the mechanic of, you know, it's a stealth game. It's really what they encourage mostly. Um, And so when you get sighted, there's the, the iconic exclamation mark and then shit is going down people are running at you <laughs> and shooting at you and it's that's also when the game is clunkiest but it's really because you're being punished and you should not have been seen and uh <laughs> the game has been very extreme about that in the past and yeah you can play it on easy mode and then you get to keep your radar and they're stupid and they don't see you when you hide around a corner but um in the new game they've eased that a little bit and what they did was when the guy sees you it goes into slow-mo max pain mode and you have about five seconds to deal with that guy before it becomes a real super alert. And so, and that just takes the punishment off a little bit because while I, I appreciate the exclamation mark mechanic as, Hey, you did bad. Here's punishment. Um, I do like being able to get out of it without... It takes away some of the, oh, I'm going to reload my save. Oh, I'm going to reload my save. Because if you <laughs> manage to tranquilize or kill the guy um, before his alert becomes permanently a thing, um, it doesn't count it against you in your stats or anything. It, it, it counts as you basically as if you had sneak, sneaked up to him and killed him normally. Well, I think that's also kind of game universe appropriate even though it's probably just a natural progression of the mechanics and and the game design but it's a little bit game universe appropriate because in the earlier metal gear solid games it's later in the future and all the soldiers are injected with nano machines and they have more sophisticated radios and hands-free communication devices so since this isn't like what the 70s 
I think. I think this one's in the eighties now. It's 80s? finally connecting to. Yeah. So, and I know they still have like super advanced technology that's not real or based on like science fiction, and that that's fine. But it also makes sense that if I come around a corner and a guy spots me before he has a chance to like grab his radio or use his you know throat mic or something that I'm going to have an opportunity to shoot him in the face, right? Because <laughs> I'm like the super soldier who's really good at shooting people in the face. So, And that's another feeling like Big Boss thing of like, oh, yeah, he would have amazing reflexes. Right. Yeah, it's just like how the, the combos in Batman, like when someone goes to swing on you, you have like just, it slows down just a little bit and lets you know like, hey, this guy's about to crack you in the skull with <laughs> yeah. a bat. You should probably do something. Yeah. So all this and then the, the, the open world stuff, which is actually represented well in Ground Zeroes, even though you really only get one map, it's probably a square mile or something. Mm. Um, the new game, like that just promises to also make it addicting to just, you know, you have like this mother base, you attach these hot air balloons to guys and fly them away and they become part of your army. So you're encouraged not to kill them. But there's just lots of sensible uses of, oh, I'm going to get to like, I see the enemy base and I get to decide which side of it I'm going to sneak through on. Am I going to ride a truck in? Am I going to create an explosion on the other side? And like, it just seems like that very inventively will let you do lots of interesting stuff. Yeah, because it's, it's all about you have an objective, but it's the the path from where you are to the objective is not like laid out for you, right? Yeah. So you have a lot more freedom. And they still like, there's still a lot of storytelling. Like in, in Ground Zeroes, you're rescuing these very specific child soldiers that have been um, imprisoned in this, like basically a, a Marine black site. It's like not avowed by the government. But, um, once you get one of the guys, the whole mission changes and it's like, oh, mm. this was a trap or they knew this. And, you know, you just methodically killed every single Marine on the base. <laughs> and <laughs> now if you didn't hide the bodies, these new guys came in on a truck and they're going to find them and be on higher alert or you know, all these different things can happen. So I think the bow we have to put on this topic is this crazy commercial Yes. Can you describe this for the the viewers? <laughs> it's just going to sound like I'm a crazy person, but Exactly, yes. Um so one of the biggest and most long-running jokes in Metal Gear is that you can hide in a cardboard box. And this isn't just an absurd like way to be stealthy. This is also a way to fast travel around a lot of Metal Gear games cuz you get in a truck or something in the box and then they ship that box to where it's marked. <laughs> so if you're like, I'm in the, I belong in the kitchen, I'm in the kitchen cardboard box and they take you over there. Um, but in this commercial, it's uh, it's basically a wedding and, uh, but the bride and groom are in cardboard boxes the whole time and everyone's just, I mean, there's, it wasn't subtitled when I watched it, so I have no idea what they were saying. Yeah, I'm with you. Also no <laughs> idea what the context was. So from what I can interpret, they go through the whole wedding ceremony and they get to some kind of reception thing and um, there's a third cardboard box and this is apparently, I'm assuming father of the bride. Yes. Um, and he hands her a PS4 controller and then she's like crying and they're all emotional and then it's like Metal Gear Solid 5. Oh, sorry, you missed a crucial What did I miss? You missed a crucial <laughs> juncture there. So, 
at the reception, the father, the bride, the groom, and the bride are all still in their boxes. And then something is said, again, in Japanese, and uh, the father shoots up out of his box. Oh, yeah. And then the bride shoots up out of her box. He walks over and hands her the controller, and then whatever exchange they have, that prompts the groom to shoot up out of his box. (laughs) So... There's, Which is part of the funny animation of, like, in that game, if you take the box off, you do just instantaneously <laughs> pop out of it. Yep. But I, I figure there's, you know, because they're, like, crying and, and all weepy, and so there's, I don't know, something to do with the theme of, like, feeling exposed, and I don't know. It was all in Japanese. There was one word in there I distinctly recognized, which is that the father, or the, the groom calls the, the father, father. So I don't know if he meant that in like a, it is actually his father or if it's the bride's father, he's like embracing him. But I just, I recognize the (laughs) Japanese word for father. The other funny moment, the last thing I would have to say is uh, they feed cake to each other through the boxes, (laughs) the little (laughs) handle on the side. And it's it's very poorly done. Like most of the cake falls outside the box (laughs) and only a little bit gets through. Yeah. So weird. It's. I'm sure if you could see the um, the subtitles or a closed caption, that would help in no ways, and yeah. it would still be incredibly weird because this just. I don't know what words could make this commercial not seem weird. <laughs> yep. Uh, so that'll be on our show notes. So maybe let's wrap this up. So this was episode eighty-two of Flipping should, Tables. Should we should we put it in a box? Oh my god. <laughs> Yes, but then it might be transported to our listeners. Okay. Uh, so check out the show notes for links to this crazy commercial and, and everything else, including Pac-Man, uh, Pac-Man 2, the new adventures, and other horrible things like Eat, Pray, Love. <laughs> uh, you can find these at sunriserobot.net slash flipping table slash 82. And uh, me and David love feedback, so we're both on Twitter. You can find me at Medwards Music. And I am at Lions in Beta. So send us comments. Tell us we're wrong about these Moleskine notebooks or, <laughs> or anything else. And, uh, you know, how your special use case is universally good for everyone. I would love to hear about that. Uh, you can subscribe to our show so you get new episodes automatically. Uh, I use Overcast.fm and on Android you use... Pocket Cast, which I need to interrupt you to tell you, they at some point added a smart speed style feature uh, like Overcast has on iOS, and it tells you how much time it saved you since you enabled it. I've had it on for one week, and it has already saved me over an hour. Yeah, I got, that's a whole episode of a show that I now get to listen to that I didn't have time for before. So by smart speed, they mean like the not just faster voices, but cutting silences out and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. So I have it sped up, and I'm now cutting out silences. So I'm just, I'm like a podcast listening machine. So you, sh- I'm going to ask you this live on the air. Have you listened to any flipping tables with this? And have you noticed it uh, in the theme song in the very beginning? The tit 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 tit. Did it do that pause right there? Smart speed cuts that down <laughs> and it ruins the rhythm of the song, but I find that kind of amusing more than annoying. So I will have to check that specifically. I did try, as I've been using this for the last week, to take note if any dialogue in any of our shows sounded um 
impossible. Like, <laughs> like, wow, there were just no breaths in there. And it's, it's, it doesn't tell you how much of a silence it's cutting out. It might be in their changelog or something, but it, it, it's, everything still sounds natural and I'm already listening to it sped up anyway. So it still sounds like believable and I can still follow what's happening, but I will go re-listen to an episode now just to see if the, the music's already distorted. I mean, I'm listening at 1.4. Yeah. So every podcast that I listen to, their theme song is basically just... Yeah, you clearly don't care about the theme song when you're <laughs> running at 1.4. Yeah. Nope. Uh, so long story short, there are some really great podcast app, Overcast.fm and Pocket Cast, that have really smart speed features. So you should subscribe to our show and listen to our voices much faster than we naturally speak. <laughs> and uh, you can use the RSS button or search in the apps for Flipping Tables and you can find it pretty easily. Um, do that. Um, if you'd like to support us directly, you can head to our Patreon, patreon.com slash sunrise robot. And uh, you can pledge dollars to our network, which helps us keep producing all these shows. We have six different shows right now. We're dreaming up new ones, and someday maybe we'll actually start laying the groundwork to create them. And uh, every dollar helps. Uh, helps us invest in equipment, helps us recruit new hosts, and all sorts of things. Uh, we wanted to give some special thanks to our top Patreon sponsors, Bruce Edwards, Matt Mariner, Sean Byrne, and Andreas Langa. This network is possible because of awesome people like you. And your sweet, sweet dollars. <laughs> all right. We'll see you all next week. See you next week.